0: Today on Act News Daily.
1: In bankruptcy law, three months prior to when the bankruptcy company declares bankruptcy, in that three-month window, it's called the preference period. And what the concern is, is that right before the, the debtor declares bankruptcy...
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on this Friday afternoon. It's not very Friday here in central Iowa. It's gloomy, wet, cold... I think we're going to get some snow and ice later today. So winter is upon us, Ashton. Yeah, Delaney, I
2: actually saw that there was a winter weather advisory going from, I think, tonight through tomorrow night in parts of Iowa. So I'm feeling for you, but down here in Texas, we're supposed to get a little bit colder. And I think that parts of the Texas Panhandle are expected to see some snow as well, but I don't know if it'll hit Lubbock.
0: Well, consider yourself lucky, because this time of year, Iowa is not so pleasant, and I wish I lived somewhere else like the state of Texas.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I'm well-equipped for the snow, so I couldn't handle it.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not really either. If Yeah, I I always tell myself I wish I didn't live in Iowa during the winter months, but then the rest of the year, I love it. So it's a trade-off, I suppose. I guess so.
2: I love living in Texas, but I tell you what, I am ready to kick off our news for today. I don't have very much, but from what I did find, I am excited to share with you and our listeners as well. First things first is uh, Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative, announced that the United States is exercising its rights under the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement to address measures adopted by the government of Canada that are contrary to the provisions of the agreement and harm U.S. dairy farmers. Specifically, the United States is challenging Canada's allocation of dairy tariff rate quotas by setting aside and reserving a percentage of each dairy TRQ exclusively for processors. Canada has, quote, undermined the ability of American dairy farmers and producers to utilize the agreed upon TRQs and sell a wide range of dairy products to Canadian consumers. Lighthizer was quoted as saying Canada's measures violate its commitments and harm U.S. dairy farmers and producers. We are disappointed that Canada's policies have made this first-ever enforcement action under the USMCA necessary to ensure compliance with the agreement This action demonstrates that the United States will not hesitate to use all tools available to guarantee American workers, farmers, ranchers, and businesses enjoy the benefits we bargained for. Lighthizer provided official notice to Canada that it was exercising its rights to enforce the USMCA in a letter to Canada's Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion, and International Trade. If the U.S. and Canada are not able to resolve the United States concerns through consultations, the U.S. may request the establishment of a U.S. dispute settlement panel to examine the matter.
0: And would that dispute panel be a group of U.S. and Canadian representatives? Would it be like the WTO panel that does that for them?
2: You know what, that is a really great question. And I am not sure that I can answer that. But from what I assume, it would be representatives from the USMCA. I don't know if they would include Mexico
0: on that. But I could do some digging and hopefully answer that question next week. Okay, that sounds great, Ashton. Well, I have a new rule. That is designed to give packers and producers clarity on what constitutes as, quote, undue or unreasonable preference in the meat sector. On Thursday, we saw USDA roll out this final rule outlining what it considers unfair treatment of producers under the Packers and Stockyards Act. This is updated from the latest farm policy battle, and we saw it put into place originally in 2008, but now updated. And under the final rule, the USDA declares that it is unlawful for any packer, swine contractor, or live poultry dealer to either make or give any undue or unreasonable preference advantage to any particular person or locality in any respect. They also gave four specific criteria to help determine what is an unfair practice, including whether the activity cannot be justified on the basis of cost savings, meeting a competitor's prices, meeting a competitor's terms, or as a reasonable business decision. So, I believe this rule really was pushed forth especially since we've seen these um price fixing allegations in the uh protein industry but um a little unclear so far on what this really does and it's also suggesting folks are suggesting that this rule's going to get fixed or rolled back or maybe extended further during the Biden administration so um we'll have to maybe do a little digging further into this Ashton to see does this change anything from a producer's perspective or not
2: yes Delaney I also saw that story today and I agree we're gonna have to do a little bit of digging it sounds like that's just what this episode is about I guess
0: (laughs) yeah we're giving you lots of um questions not a lot of answers today Yes, but uh, I guess that's what the weekend is for. So we'll
2: try and do a little bit more digging on these topics and try and get them talked about next week. But Delaney, like I said, I don't have too much news to talk about today. So this is my final story of the day. And it concerns the USDA. They have imposed sanctions on five produce businesses for failing to meet contractual obligations to the sellers of produce they purchased and failing to pay reparation awards issued under the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act these sanctions include suspending the businesses paca licenses and barring the principal operators of the businesses from engaging in paca licensed business or other activities without approval from the usda and those that are going under under this with the usda and restricted from operating currently are jind produce rns export and import incorporated Kuroto Produce Incorporated, Produce Tech Giants, and Fernando McIntyre. And I'm not exactly sure. Well, I mean, I have some some information here about what these companies did to, to issue this. But uh, it's a lot of information that I don't uh, think that our listeners really, I guess, want to hear right now. I don't want to overload them. But uh, if they want to find out a little bit more about this, I highly
0: suggest they look into it. Absolutely. Thanks for the update there, Ashton. I've got a quick update now uh, regarding the stimulus package. We actually now have two different stimulus packages being debated in Congress right now. One of the uh, stimulus packages is a bipartisan proposal forged by a group of pretty middle of the road Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. And the other is a proposal being pushed by the White House uh, Secretary, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Both packages are pretty similar in terms of their total cost. The allocation of funding is, but the allocation of funding is different in a few key areas. So we're still continuing to watch that and see what would happen here. But folks out in Congress are getting a lot of pressure, it sounds like, now that they do have at least a short-term spending guilt in place, a little stopgap measure here to make sure the government doesn't shut down. Uh, They're receiving a lot of pressure to get some sort of stimulus package put into place. So just a quick update there. But Ash and I had a few other quick updates as well. Um, Farm equipment sales for the months of uh, 2020 or November, I should say, that's not a month, 2020 is a year. But Farm equipment sales during the month of 2020 were up 41% compared to November of 2019. And we are seeing this year's sales uh, continue to be pushed up. The market has been pretty solid all year, according to Kurt Blades, vice president of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. And he said that commodity prices have definitely played a role into this year's increased purchases in the farm sector. However, on the flip side of that, we saw the ethanol market shed nearly $4 billion, billion with a B, during this coronavirus pandemic. Since March, the U.S. ethanol industry has lost over $3.8 billion in revenues, according to recent data released by the Renewable Fuels Association earlier this week. And... As I mentioned, they were talking stimulus package. The Renewable Fuels Association has asked that they be included in this new stimulus package specifically for any sort of COVID-19 relief that this package could contain. They said, of course, you know, gasoline and ethanol consumption are still substantially below pre-pandemic levels, and it is likely that this will persist for a number of months. So they are asking for some additional aid. They haven't received any so far and are hoping to get some in this next round of stimulus. But with that, Ashton, I tell you what, I am all out of news other than talking markets for today. What do you say? Well, let's get into it. Let's do that here. And as we take a look across the grain markets today, we saw corn and soybeans trade pretty mildly today after yesterday's instant report reaction to finish actually a little higher on the day. Starting off here in the March corn contract, up two and a quarter cent to close at 4.23 and a half. The December, up three to close at 4.12 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, Bigger moves today is the January contract put on seven and three quarters cents to close at 1160 and a half. The March up seven and a quarter to close at 1166. And in the Chicago wheat pits, big moves to the upside as the March contract added 18 cents today to close at 16, 614. The December up 10 and a half to close at 615 and a half. And hopping over to take a look at the protein markets. We saw the cattle complex have a second day of strength today as the February live cattle contract added $1.40 to close at $113.25. The April up $1.40 to close at 117 dollars and And in feeder cattle, January up $2.12 to close at $139.72. The March up $1.30 to close at $140.55. Lean hogs had weakness today as the February contract shed $1.85. Excuse me, $1.87 to close at 63.22. The April down $1.57 a half to close at 67.50. And dairy, since we're talking about dairy for today's interview, we've got to see where the markets ended today. January shedding two cents to close at 16.29. The February up 19 to close at 17.45. Now, Ashton, I've just given away the topic of today's podcast, uh, but fill us in on who specifically we're talking to from the dairy industry. Today we are actually talking to Travis Cushman who is from
2: American Farm Bureau Federation and he is of course talking to us about Dean Foods. Well, for today's Friday interview, we are talking to Travis Cushman, who is the Senior Counsel for Public Policy with American Farm Bureau Federation. And Travis is here to kind of walk us through what's going on with Dean Foods. And I'm certainly excited to kick things off. But first, I just want to thank you, Travis, for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ashton. I'm excited to be here.
2: So before we really get down into the nitty-gritty of what's going on with Dean Foods, I think some folks haven't quite wrapped their head around what's going on, me included. So why don't you give us a 10,000-foot view as to what's going on with Dean Foods? It's, from what I understand, kind of been a lengthy process as they filed for bankruptcy. I believe it was last November. So if you need to correct me, please do so. But you know, kind of give us a little bit of background information at what we're looking at.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you're right. Dean Foods or Southern Foods declared bankruptcy November of 2019. Uh, so it's been a little over a year now since that bankruptcy was declared, and they've been liquidating the estate, which means they're selling off the assets. There's a couple of different kinds of bankruptcies. One type is when uh, they just restructure the debt and continue to go on as an operating concern. Here, uh, Southern Foods or Dean Foods, is is liquidating the assets, and, and so the estate, Steen Foods estate, is what is left over that is going through that process of of paying the creditors and and uh, selling off whatever assets remain.
2: So, I'm not quite familiar with you know the process or what's going on with farmers. So, from that standpoint, you know, from from what I've gathered, is some farmers have gotten some letters quote unquote, demanding that they give back some money to Dean Foods. So can you just tell us, you know, what kind of letters they got and maybe why they got these letters from Dean Foods?
1: So over Thanksgiving, uh, lawyers representing Dean Foods, a law firm known as Ask Law Firm, A-S-K, sent anywhere between, we think around 500 to maybe many thousands of demand letters to dairy producers across the country, these demand letters were highly threatening. Uh, they seek to reclaim money that was paid by Dean Foods to the milk, far- the milk uh, producers for milk that was supplied in the three months before bankruptcy was declared. So the letters are seeking the total sum of money that farmers would have paid paid Dean Foods in that three month time period before November 2019.
2: So I want to kind of get some clarification here because what they did wasn't technically illegal, was it? Because, you know, from what I've read, I'm not someone who is super familiar with, you know, legal work or anything like that. But from from the articles that I've read, what they did was not technically illegal, but maybe the process was. So can you just kind of give us a little bit more information about why they were able to send out those letters, you know, claiming that they needed to be repaid that money three months from when they filed from bankruptcy?
1: So in bankruptcy law, three months prior to when the bankrupt company declares bankruptcy in that three month window, it's called the preference period. And what the concern is is that right before the, the debtor declares bankruptcy, they might give certain kinds of preferred treatment to friends, family, uh, do something that is that gets the remaining assets to folks that shouldn't be getting them, or in a in a higher ratio than they, they would get otherwise. So that's pre- called a preference period. And the bankruptcy code allows the estate to claw back those payments that were made. Now, there are, of course, some very good defenses to that because uh, there are many types of transactions that that you'd expect the debtor to pay fully on. One of the chief examples, and the one I think is is most obvious here, is called the ordinary course of business defense. And what that means is, if if you know, as as a debtor is getting ready to declare bankruptcy, they're they're not doing very well, they're they're distressed. It allows vendors to continue doing business with that that entity to make sure that they can continue operating and, and continue collecting money. You, you would want vendors to be able to continue to be protected and continue doing business with a company that's getting ready to go into bankruptcy. Otherwise, you know all the vendors would close up shop and stop supplying uh, the debtor. And that'd be worse for everybody. So, th- so if you're doing business in the ordinary course, like we believe every single... Likely every single one of these folks that receive these letters, they would have a complete defense to the demand letter.
2: This is quite a lot to wrap my head around because like I said I'm not really familiar with bankruptcy or you know legal matters but I'm glad you're you're walking me through here but one other thing that I want you to walk me through is the American Farm Bureau's stance on this matter because I originally reached out to AFBF because I read an article about um the the federation kind of standing up for these farmers. So, can you just give us a little bit more information about what the bureau is is doing in response?
1: So, I guess it'd be before I get into that, it's probably important to highlight how deceptive these letters are and and why we find them so wrong. Oh, to the average person that receives this, I mean, to anybody that receives these, these are very confusing and we think misleading. While, yes, it is possible that this money could be clawed back in certain circumstances, likely everyone that received these letters that's a farmer has complete defense. And that's not clear when you look at these letters. I'm a lawyer, I've been practicing for a long time. When I looked at these things, I was confused. I didn't know what was being said. And I had to hire, now said bankruptcy expert to help me understand. What was happening here? So, so looking at these letters, the only way that we can really interpret them is is a predatory shakedown written in in a legal language to confuse folks. So, what we did is is we sent a demand letter to Dean Foods attorneys, demanding that they retract these letters and refund any money that's been paid.
2: So another question that I have concerning, you know, what farmers should do is, you know, what they should do if they've already paid back the money to Dean Foods after getting this letter.
1: If that has happened, I would love for you to contact me. My email is travisc at sb.org. We do not believe, it, it's always possible there's an exception, but we, we don't believe that um, most folks that receive these should have had to pay and if that's happened we want to know and again my email is travisc at org.
2: and again if a farmer hasn't yet paid back that money but they don't know what the next step should be you know do do you recommend they reach out to you again or you know what can they be doing in response to these letters as well
1: so the the um the Pennsylvania Milk Marketing Board, there's a guy there named Doug Eberle, He's done a great job of working this issue, and and so the Pennsylvania Milk Marketing Board, the Pennsylvania Attorney General, got together with this law firm and they put together a form uh, that a producer can fill out, and it's it's a, it's a form that is one page, and you you put in your information in it, and it's my understanding that if you send in this form uh, and your producer that that should satisfy the law firm again i am not uh, i i'm not giving legal advice here and i have not spoken yet with this law firm as they have not yet responded to our demand letter but it is important to know that there is this form the pennsylvania milk marketing board has put up and if you just go online look for pennsylvania milk marketing board and google it you you should be able to find the form that they have uh published
2: and travis i just have one last question here before i let you go and it's do you anticipate this being dropped from dean foods and maybe just give that email one more time if folks want to reach out to you
1: well so this is if if you have paid out um i, I would encourage you to to please reach out to me travis c at fb.org But if you're just trying to figure out what to do, um, if you need any legal advice, I would suggest hiring a bankruptcy attorney. And I would also suggest you check out the Pennsylvania Milk Marketing Board's website where they have this form that you can fill out um, that explains, uh, or that they can fill out and send to the law firm, expressing why uh, you qualify for the exemption, you shouldn't have to pay anything.
2: Well, again, Travis, thank you so much for coming on today and walking us through what's going on with Dean Foods. And we are anxiously awaiting to see what the next step is. And I just really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to walk us through what's going on.
1: Thank you, Ashton. I appreciate it.
2: Well, again, a big thank you there for Travis coming on and talking to us about Dean Foods. I am kind of, I guess, not really all that well-equipped to talk about you know legal legal battles and, and all that good stuff. But it was definitely good to have Travis come on and give us a bit of a clarification on what's exactly going on with Dean Foods and our dairy farmers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gary Rasmussen continues to keep me updated on his end there. He's a Michigan dairy farmer, and it seems like he's continuing to get uh, the brunt of things here. He's one of the groups that, or he's one of the farmers, excuse me, that got sent a letter. Um, So we'll keep you guys updated as we know more, but it's a little shady, the whole thing that's going on, Ashton.
2: I would have to agree, Delaney, but uh, we are always covering what's going on in the latest in the world of agriculture and if you are wanting to find out more on what's going on with the dean food situation be sure to tune into future podcasts at agnewsdaily.com and uh, listen to us uh, cover some some of that stuff on social media at agnewsdaily with that delaney should we let the
0: people go let's let them go